Sometimes what needs to happen is the junk needs to be kicked to the curb, kicked out of the way. And that's what James is doing. He's, he's, he's nailing it. Sometimes the Lord Jesus Christ was very harsh. Right? Sometimes he would, he would say something that was just withering almost. I think Matthew uh, chapter 23 is one of the most withering uh, speeches ever written. I don't know many people that would get away with the withering speech. He's talking about the Pharisees and he's calling them hypocrites. And he doesn't just call them hypocrites once. He keeps on calling them hypocrites all through the discourse. He just keeps telling nailing them as being hypocrites. Now, <clears throat> I do not think he was doing it because he hated the Pharisees. I think he was doing it because he loved them. And in order for them to trust him, they needed to stop trusting in the things they were trusting in. They needed to stop trusting in their own goodness and in their own good works, and they needed to start trusting in him. And I think with James, what James is doing here is he's nailing something for us. And when he nails it, and we allow ourselves to be nailed with it, then what happens is we're helped. Right? So in other words, sometimes in order to build the building, you need to tear down what's on the structure. Already, And sometimes that's what we need to do uh, in our lives. So we need to let the, let, let the Spirit of the Lord <clears throat> get a grip of us with these things and um, let Him have His way in our lives. All right? So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll read. Father, would you bless? Uh, Lord, help us. Oh, I need you, Lord, to, to help me as I speak. Lord, the things that you want said need to be said and, and the rest needs to be just left to one side. But, Lord, your people need you to give them ears to hear as well, Lord. Uh, they need you to uh, let them hear what each one needs to hear. And, Lord, we know that you're able. We know that nothing is beyond you. We know that you can take, and for each one here, Lord, you can deliver a message uh, that is just tailor-made for them. Now, Lord, would you do it, Lord? Would you undertake and would you do it and help us, we pray? Because, Lord, we love you, and we want to walk closer to you, and we want to know your hand and your presence in our lives. Now, bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James 1, verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue... But deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, we're using the word religion here, and um, that's kind of a that, that's a word that in in modern times we tend to put to one side because we don't want to we, we want to talk about relationship rather than religion. But it has a valid uh, <clears throat> meaning here, right? What we're talking about is our spiritual way of life, right? <clears throat> that's what we would call our religion, our spiritual. Now, and what he's saying is that. Uh, if you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving yourself. You deceive. Now, that's pretty strong stuff. You're deceiving yourself. And then he goes on to say, your religion is vain. Now, vain means empty. There's nothing to it. It doesn't count. It's of no effect. It has no impact. Uh, if you can't control your tongue, y your religion 
is of no value. Uh, your religion is vain and empty. If you can't control your tongue, uh, it doesn't mean anything. So what he's saying to you is he's saying, listen, um, here's a check mark for you. And he gives you two more. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So what he's doing is he's giving you three different check marks as far as uh, your Christianity is concerned, right? <clears throat> he says, your, your religion isn't real unless it affects your conversation. Now, talking about conversation here in the modern sense of the word conversation, what we speak. Right? Your faith must affect your mouth. He's, he nails it straight. You know, he doesn't give you any wiggle room on it. He doesn't let you kind of work out the side of it. He says, no, 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 your faith must affect your speech. Your relationship with God, your religion, your Christianity must affect your conversation. <clears throat> it must also affect your compassion. Talking about widows and orphans in this case, but it must also affect your compassion. There must be a compassion there for you. Right? You, you must have your heart touched. Uh, we'll talk about it, but I think we have a problem with that in our day and age. I think we have a problem with compassion. I think, you know, um, it's so easy for us to, uh, to look at our world and the chaos that it's in and just to go, yeah, yeah, and miss it and not have compassion. And thirdly, uh, your faith must affect your character. It must affect your character. There must be a reality to it. And I, I, I love the fact that James just kind of hits it clear and he hits the nail straight on the head and he tells us, your, your, your speech has to be affected. Your compassion has to be affected and your character has to be affected or else you're deceiving yourself. And it's, it's not real. Now, he's not saying, you know, you're not saved. It's not a checklist for salvation. But it's a, it's a checklist for valid or real religion. In other words, your Christianity is useless, unless these things are uh, <clears throat> evident in your life, right? So let's, let's d delve in and begin to look at them, right? <clears throat> First of all, does your religion control your tongue? Does your religion control your tongue? James 1.26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Do you know that we talk a lot? We really do. We talk a lot. I read this week. Let me, let me read it to you because it's fascinating. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. Uh, right? That's the equivalent of a 64-page book. In one week, you speak the equivalent of, of a 450-page book. In a month, you speak 480,000 words, the equivalent of a book of uh, 1,920 pages. In one year, you speak 5,760,000 5, uh, words, uh, which is roughly equivalent to four volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. If we stretch that out over 70 years, uh, that's 403 million words, roughly equal to an entire 44-volume set of the Encyclopedia Britannica multiplied nine times, all right? Now, some of you ladies are saying, not my husband, all right? <clears throat> now, the reason is because, you see, you speak 30,000 and he only speaks 2,000, all right? <clears throat> that's, the, that's the reason uh, why he's not talking. But here's the reality. We all speak a lot. We speak a lot. We speak and we communicate and we send texts and we send emails. And um, <clears throat> today... You will speak enough words to fill a 64-page book. Right? Now, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you this. 
If you had a 64-page book of everything you're going to say today since you got up this morning until you close your eyes uh, tonight, how would you feel about we all read it next Sunday? How would you feel about the fact that we all kind of took it? Now, the reality is, God has already read it. God knows exactly what it is that you're saying. And what you're saying is betraying what's going on in your heart. It's betraying who you are. It's actually saying who, who you are and what you are. Now, <clears throat> you know, we tend not to pay much attention to some of these things, but listen, it's important. Look at Proverbs 18.21. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life. Do you know that your tongue can wither people? Your tongue can cut. Your tongue can slice and dice. Your death is in the power of the tongue. <clears throat> the world was created through words. Words create their very powerful things. You know, if we look at the atrocities around the world uh, today, you know, they didn't just happen. They happened first in somebody's heart, and then they happened in words. And the words began uh, what we're seeing developing and unfolding uh, in our world today. So that, that, that words are powerful things. And, and we need to understand how powerful they are. You know, if you and I were going around today with, with loaded guns in our pockets, right? Um, it'd be kind of a scary situation, wouldn't it? Um, but, you know, if you had a loaded gun in your pocket, before you come into church, you would check that the safety was on. Uh, you would check that it was that it was <coughs> properly uh, holstered or wherever, you know, so that it wouldn't be lying around, so that somebody couldn't hurt themselves with it or hurt you with it, and uh, so that you couldn't accidentally hurt them. You, you'd be very careful of it. But you know, the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're not nearly uh, as um, careful about our tongues as we would be about a weapon, and yet <coughs> our tongues can be a weapon, uh, and they can be a, a pretty high class weapon, right? Uh, look at Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And what's that saying? Every word that comes out of your mouth is supposed to uh, be a word that is good for somebody to lift them up and help them up. Now, <clears throat> we've we got to take the words for, for meaning, what, meaning what they say. When God wrote words for us in the Bible, uh, he meant them. So every communication is supposed to be good for building up, for edifying. Uh, it's supposed to minister grace. Now, grace is God's enabling power. So that when we speak, we're supposed to speak words that enable, words that lift up, words that help and encourage, not words that tear down. Now, it's very easy for us to use words that just destroy. You know, you can, you can wither a child, can't you? You know, without ever laying a hand on a child, you can make a child cry just with words. How does that work? You know, what we're seeing now is we're seeing, you know, that, and it's a crime, it's a cyber crime, but we're seeing the people with words on Facebook or with words uh, in emails or texts can actually cause somebody else to take their own life. And they're being held accountable for it. You know, because legally, so, so your words have power involved in them. Now, God says to you as a Christian, as a believer, that your words are always supposed to build up. 
Your words are always supposed to help. Your words are always supposed to edify. Always. Right? They're not supposed to. And, and by the way, you know, we, we, we can't do this one because we do this one in so many areas. Don't we? Well, but, you know, my, my 64-page book for today, you know, well, 90% of the words are going to be good words. It's only 10% of them that are going to be bad. Right? Well, well, well let, let, let me put something else on you, right? <clears throat> um, you, you have your gun that you brought to church this morning, right? No, I hope you didn't, right? But you have your gun that you brought to church this morning, right? And, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, you say, well, you know, 90% of the time I don't kill anybody with my gun. That's not good enough, is it? That, that just doesn't happen. Now, you, the thing about it is 90% of your words may not do damage, but if 10% do, that's true. You might say, well, I tell you what. <clears throat> 99% of the time, I never kill anybody with my gun. <clears throat> now, that doesn't give me any comfort. That does, not, that does not comfort me in the least. You know, if there's 1% of the time that you do, then I'm scared. Now, when it comes to our words, it can't be that 99% of our words are okay. There's just 1% that, call it, that do damage. Because death and life are in the power of our words. They're that powerful. It needs to be that our words are helpful, that they build up, that they encourage. Our words can't be words that tear down. And way too often, that's what they are. Our mouths as you are used as weapons, and we use them very effectively sometimes as weapons. Let me give you uh, a list of things uh, that would be signs of an unbridled tongue. Right? Now, now do this, please. Don't, don't say, well, you know what, there are five of the things he said. I've never done in my life. Right? That's not the issue. Right? Remember, it's the 1% of the time that you kill people with your gun that makes you a problem. It's the 1% of the time that you use words wrongly that's the problem, right? Um, <clears throat> vulgarity, obscenity, indecent language. These are evidences of an unbridled tongue. Uh, dirty jokes, off-color stories, pornographic language, racial or ethnic insults. By the way, <clears throat> you know what? That, that's kind of fair game in our society. You know, you just, just, just make comments about somebody's race. But you know what? Uh, if we asked a bunch of you could stand up and say, that hurts. That hurts really bad. You know, when somebody, when somebody uh, because of your, <clears throat> of your race or your ethnicity, you know, puts you down because of that, that everybody may laugh, but you're not laughing. That hurts. Right? Now, <clears throat> that's not acceptable. You know, we shouldn't do that. Angry outbursts. Harsh words. Humor meant to insult or to put somebody down. You tell a joke that makes somebody squirm and everybody else laughs. Right? <clears throat> That's fun, isn't it? Not for the person that gets put down. You know, <clears throat> not for that person. Um, mean-spirited comments. You know, <clears throat> can't we use those, those little jabs? Those little words that just kind of catch somebody. And cut them. <clears throat> gossip. By the way, what is gossip? Gossip is you talking about problems uh, to people that have no reason to know about them. You say, but it's true. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. What are you talking about? Why are you spreading it? Um, <clears throat> you know, gossip, if, you, if you're going to talk to somebody, it needs to be with a view to resolving the situation, not just for the sake of passing on information. Now, th that's gossip. Gossip, um, <clears throat> rumors, false accusations. Stuff that you don't even know is true, but you're passing on anyway. That's, that's wrong. Uh, imputing bad motives. Now, how can you impute bad motives on somebody? Because you're a mind reader. Do you know why they did what they did? No, you don't. 
if you want to know why somebody did what they did, you're going to have to ask them, and they're going to have to be truthful enough to actually tell you. Right? But you can't impute a bad motive on somebody uh, who, um, just because you think you know what was going on. Um, public criticism of your spouse and your children, <coughs> yelling and screaming, threats and intimidating comments. Uh, you know, listen, you can threaten people and um, get an impact on them, get them to do stuff. That's, that's not good speech. That's not a bridal tongue. Um, endless criticism. Um, by the way, is there a way to criticize? Yeah. Speak the truth in love. Or else shut up. <clears throat> but speak the truth in love. You've got to speak the truth and actually say uh, what is right. And, and um, that, that's good. That's helpful. But, but, but don't be somebody who, who, who criticizes. Uh, quick cutting comments. Cheap shots. Talking too much. Talking without listening, uh, condemning others, exaggerating the faults of others, excusing unkind words by saying, I was only joking. Right? Uh, anybody ever do that? Yeah, look, I was only joking. Now, it's almost a double injury, isn't it? Because uh, what they did was they put a knife into you, uh, but now they're saying there's no knife there. You can feel the blade, but they're telling you there is no knife there. Uh, because they, uh, they were only joking. You see, uh, the tongue has the power of life and death. We need to be careful with our tongues. So what the writer is saying here is he's saying, listen, you know, <clears throat> listen, y you need to control your tongue. Now, how are you doing on this checklist today? I read about a guy who was a linguist. He could <clears throat> speak seven languages, and it was said about him that he knew how to remain silent in seven languages. Right? Now, you know what? It would help some of us to learn how to be silent in English. It would help some of us just to, you know, not to say it. Yeah, it doesn't need to be said. By the way, you say, well, I, th well, I, well, I was thinking and I had to be honest and say it. Uh, no, you didn't. You know what? <clears throat> People did not need to. And by the way, between the thought and the word, there's a new life that takes place. The thought may be wrong and may be corrected in your mind, but when you give voice to the thought and actually say it, what you've done is you've created something. Because words create. They actually create. They actually have power uh, and they create. So, create. so the first thing we need to do is we need to check our tongues. How are you doing this morning? Right? Okay, you say, okay, you know, Pastor, 90% there. Okay? Not good enough. Not good enough. It's not good enough with a gun. It's not good enough with your, with your tongue. How, how are you doing with your tongue? How are you doing with the use of your tongue? What, what are you doing with this tongue? What are you leaving behind you in the wake of what you say uh, with your tongue? We have so many means open to us today to actually use our, uh, our words incorrectly and hurt people. You know, what are you doing with your tongue? You know, here's the reality. If you haven't bridled your tongue, then James says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, your religion is empty. It's not going to have an impact. It's not going to touch people and change lives. Y your religion doesn't work. It's faulty. It's flawed. It's vain. Okay? All right, second one. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Does your religion make you compassionate? James 1 verse 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Now, <clears throat> talking about a time here when, you know, the orphan and the widow really had no one. 
they had no one and they had nothing. Right? There was nobody to take care of them, there was nobody to meet their needs and so on. And <clears throat> what he's saying is there's supposed to be a compassion for those people who have nothing. Now, we look around our nation today, and in all honesty, uh, we can find people that are, that are not handling life very well, and they may need help uh, in handling life, but it's really hard to find people in our society uh, that really have nothing. And that's a problem in this, because our job is supposed to be to look after the poor uh, and, <clears throat> and look after the fatherless and look after the widows. We're supposed to take care of them as a church. But you know what? The government doesn't. The government looks after all those things. The government takes care of all those things. Now, what that does to us very often is it kind of makes us immune to the needs that are out there. And there are needs out there. There are people that are in desperate need. Another problem for us is, you know, we look at worldwide needs and we are assaulted with the pictures. Aren't we? We're assaulted with the, with the refugees. We see pictures of refugees. We see, uh, you know what, it's yada, 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 so much, too much, I, I can't take it in. Uh, and we can, it fails to connect with our hearts. When we were kids, they first began to be able to show what was going on in different, world, different parts of the world. And, I mean, it was just heartbreaking. You would see famines and see the, see the results of famines in a different land, and, and uh, it, it was absolutely heartbreaking. But today, you see it all the time. You see it every day. And it's really easy for you to look at it and say, you know what, that's just life. That's just the way it is. You know, do you realize there are millions of people today in our world? I think somebody gave me the figure, 600 million. 600 million people uh, who have been, who are refugees, now, being a refugee means what's happened is either a bomb has hit your home and killed half your family and you had to go uh, somewhere else, or a bomb is so likely to live, hit your home that you're just, you know what, you're not staying there. Uh, you're, 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 you're not waiting. You're not going to play Russian roulette with your own life and your family's life, and so you've left your home. Now, imagine, uh, if you were to leave your home and pack everything you could carry on your back, and that was it. Okay, you don't have a credit card now. You don't have a home. You can't have a credit card if you don't have a home. You don't have a, a debit card. You don't have a job. Uh, you don't have food. You don't have anything. Do you realize there are so many people in our world that are living like that? There are so many people in our world that have absolutely nothing now. And it continues on. I tell you what, Putin getting involved in Syria is not going to help the situation settle down. Uh, <clears throat> you know, what you've got is you've got, a, you've got a, a world situation where there's just disaster after disaster after disaster. And we see so much of it, we say, yeah, I know. Uh, it's bad, isn't it? And we go to bed without really kind of taking any, any thought for it at all. Folks, <clears throat> we need to be touched. We need to be moved. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was moved with compassion when he saw people. And because he was, he did. He was moved with compassion and he took care of things. He, he fixed things. He, he helped things. We need to be moved with his compassion too. I, I'm glad for the shoebox appeal this year more than any other year. We've done it before, but you know what? Uh, some of them are going to go to refugees this year. And, <clears throat> and by the way, this is just one small part of the whole thing. But if I was a refugee and somebody gave me a shoebox with presents in it for Christmas, I'll tell you what, I would cry. <laughs> and you know what? We need to have a heart where we actually recognize the needs that are out there 
and have a heart and a passion to want to do something about it, to want to help. James says, your religion is not real if you don't. Your religion is not real if you don't. Let me read you a poem somebody wrote, right? <clears throat> I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club, and you discussed my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel in the cellar and prayed for my release. By the way, they are saying at the moment that there is a Christian being martyred for their faith every five minutes. This is not, you know, something the Romans did anymore. This is something that is happening every five minutes. We need to have an interest in that. We need to pray and see what we can do as far as that's concerned. Yet, th those figures are horrific. Every five minutes, somebody like you and me is dying for their faith. I'm not sure they're all born again, but the reason they're dying is because they've named the name of Christ. That's got to matter. That's got to count. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry. Listen, there's a world out there that has needs. Needs that just are real and that dog them all day, every day. And we have abundance. And above abundance. You know, <clears throat> our problems are, you know, should I upgrade my phone to the latest phone? You know, our problems are, you know, <clears throat> where will I eat today? Not will I eat today. Will I eat out? Will I eat at home? We're weary of all the choices that we make as far as those things are concerned. And there's a world out there that's in desperate need. Now, I understand that, listen, we're bombarded with it. And we can get to the place where we think, well, well there's nothing I can do about it. It's so vast. But there is something we can do about it. There has to be something we can do about it. And something has to be better than nothing. So that we need to reach out and see what we can do as far as helping uh, a world that is so desperately in need. I, I know, listen, everybody in this room, you know, you say, Pastor, I haven't got it. But y you know what's true for us? What's true for us is that we're so focused on what we want and what we need that we don't think of what other people need. And much of what we want and what we need is not what we really need at all. It's just what we like. Well, other people go without essentials of life. You know, we need to understand we are the blessed ones. And we need to help. We need to make plans, make provision uh, to help. Because what he's saying there is that if you don't, if you don't care, if you can just live and there's no compassion, there's no move of compassion in your heart uh, to help them, then you know what? <clears throat> your religion is vain. There's a world of need out there. Lord, open our eyes. Lord, help us to see it. Lord, give us avenues into it so that we can actually uh, touch it, so that we can go and help. L Lord, allow us to actually see the needs that are out there with your eyes so that we can be a help. We won't be able to fix the world's problems. But you know what? If you fill a shoe wax up, you'll fix somebody's problem this Christmas. Somebody cares. Somebody cares. Somebody cares enough to send me these things.
And it won't fix all their problems and it won't feed them for the year. But you know what? It'll be a help. And you know what it would do for us too? It would help us to get involved. It would help us to see the need. And I, re- <clears throat> I really think, it, uh, you know, moving ahead, we need to find ways to actually help a world. And we need to find quickly ways to help a world that is so desperately in need. <clears throat> we need to pray about that. Second thing is, there needs to be compassion uh, for those that are hurting. There needs to be compassion for those that are in need. The third thing is this. <clears throat> Our religion needs to keep us clean. Uh, <clears throat> James 2, 1 verse 27, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Here's the reality. What we're called to do is we're called to actually step into a world that is dirty that is full of sin, that is caught up in all kinds of sin, we're, we're called to step into that world and to help. We're called to step into that world and to do something about it, uh, to be a part of fixing it rather than just to let the problem all just roll by us. We're called to step into the world and actually help. Now, the problem for us with stepping into the world and helping uh, with the world is that the world, listen, it's sin has, it is, is just so all-encompassing. And what happens for us very easily in a situation like that is that we get drawn into it too. Here's what I think happens, right? And you see this happening regularly. First of all, uh, you know, there's, there's, there are needs out there that I want to reach out and I want to help, but I want to be, I want to be a blessing, and I can be a blessing. So, so I reach out and I help with those needs. But what happens is, inside of myself, something happens, and I begin to look at the situation and the sin and the wickedness and the problems, and that becomes the norm for me. Right? In other words, you've heard the expression, it is what it is. That's just the way life is today. I'm trying to help, so that becomes the norm for me. That becomes, you know, And after a while, after that becomes the norm for me, it's very easy for me to come to the place where, you know what? I, I, I know I'm not perfect, and, but that, that's the norm. So because we're social creatures, when we're helping, we can easily be sucked in. We can easily become... Uh, like them, we need to be very careful of that. Let me give you an example of how not to do it. The Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, truly, he was amazing. He was amazing in every everything that he did. Do you realize that he frequented inns? But nobody, nobody ever pointed at Jesus and said, oh, here he comes for a drink. Put him up his favorite. They knew why he was there. He was there for a reason, and everybody knew it. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ was a jailbird? The end of his life, he was taken prisoner. Um, <clears throat> but do you know that nobody thought that, you know, listen, oh, he's just in here for what he did. Even the two thieves that were crucified beside him, they knew he was different to them. One guy could say to the other, hey, listen, we're, we're on this cross because of what we did, but this guy, he's done nothing wrong. Do you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ uh, attended to prostitutes. But nobody ever thought he was there for a wrong reason. Here's Lord Jesus Christ went through the world in as full a way as it's possible to go through the world, and yet he wasn't affected by it. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. And <clears throat> that's the way we need to be. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to help. We need to be in the place where we're not afraid to actually reach out and help, and we're not afraid to uh, meet the needs, and not afraid to do <clears throat> what it takes. But we need to remain unspotted from it. 
We need to remain clean of it. Do you ever see a duck in the water? You know, a duck puts his head under the water and, and he brings up his head and, you know, shakes his head and, you know what? The water hasn't penetrated him at all. We need to be like that in the world. We need to minister to the world and we need to actually help the world, but we do not need to get sucked into the world's ways. The world needs to recognize you're different. The world needs to recognize that you don't belong here. You don't become one of the world to help the world. Because here's where your help comes from. You see, for you to help the world, what you need is, you need to recognize that you can't, first of all. But there is one that can. There is one that can. There is one that can reach down and touch and change lives. Changed yours, changed mine. There is one that can actually change people's lives. And you need to come to the place where you recognize that in order for you to be able to help the world, your attachment needs to be to him. You need to be walking with him to help the world. And your relationship with the world needs to be one where you're his ambassador. Where you're helping. Not where you're getting sucked in. Not where you're becoming one of. Not where you're becoming part of. But you're his ambassador. You know, when Jesus ministered in the world, they loved him. But they knew he wasn't like him. He wasn't like them. And what happened was people didn't draw him into their world. He drew them into his world. That's what he did. And you're his ambassador to do the same today. Now you say, that's a tall order, Pastor. It's actually impossible. The only way for you to do that is to be filled with the Spirit and to walk with him. See, you can be a do-gooder in our society and you can make yourself feel very good about yourself. But you won't help anybody unless you're drawing them into a relationship with him. So that what's most important to you is your relationship with him. Now, your relationship with him can't be such that, you know, you draw into your prayer room and you spend your life in your prayer room and you never touch anybody in the world. And you keep yourself unspotted from the world because you never touch the world. No, It can't be like that. You have to be able to go into the world. But you're going into the world to draw people to him. And your connection is to him. It's kind of like somebody lowering you down on a rope to grab somebody out of it. Well, you know what? If you let go of the rope, you can't help anybody anymore. What you do is you hold on to the rope and then you can grab them and they can winch you out and take you out. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to use you. He wants you to use you to go into the world, to reach the world. But he wants you to understand, first of all, you're not like them. You're different. He wants them to see in you that you're not like them. You're different. That you belong to him, but that you care because he cares. That you care and that you love them because he loves them. And you know what? Then you can have an impact on the world. But apart from that, we can't have any impact on the world. See, James is talking about gutsy, on the ground, faith, religion, Christianity, that actually affects things and changes things. He's talking about Christianity that 
is world-changing. And <clears throat> he's not hiding behind anything. He's laying it out there as it is. Now you come to church on a Sunday morning and that's terrific. But let me ask you, are you changing the world? Are you having an impact on the world? Are you having an impact upon your circle? Do people know that you're of God and for God? And, or do they just think you're one of them? Are, are, are you hiding your power so that you can help them like one of them? Because you never will. You can't help the world by being part of the world. You have to help the world by being connected to something greater than the world. And he will draw them to you, to him, through you. So first of all, <clears throat> how's your tongue doing? What would you give yourself? Would you give yourself, you know, 65%, 75%, 85%? Maybe you give yourself 100% and either you're pretty perfect or, you know what, you're pretty deluded, right? <clears throat> we can be that way, can't we? Is there an area that needs to change as far as your tongue is concerned? What James is saying is your religion is not real. It's vain. <clears throat> uh, how about your compassion? Do you just go through the world and it doesn't touch you? The needs of people don't touch you. The needs of the lost don't touch you. Listen, you're just going through and you're doing your thing. And how about <clears throat> your character? Does the world look at you and see he's different? She's different. What is it that's different about you? They need to see character. They need to see something. And when you're in that place, then listen, I'll tell you what, you can help. You can, you can provide the help. You know, <clears throat> when God wants to help the world, he does it through people. People like you and me. He, that's what he, he, always, he always uses people. People like you and me. When he's got a plan, got something he wants to do, he, he uses people like you and me. But you, you know what the story of the Bible is? The story of the Bible is that you find God having a hard time finding people he can use. That God has a hard time putting his finger on people. Twice it says that he sought for a man to stand in the gap. But he couldn't find one. On one occasion it says, so I delivered judgment. Which is terrifying because what it means is it means that God was looking for somebody he could make contact through the world uh, <clears throat> uh, with the world through and when he couldn't find somebody he just brought judgment. I don't want that kind of responsibility. I, I, I don't want that. Lord, have a better way than me because I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm not up for it. But John, that's the way he is. God wants to touch your world today. But he's not going to touch it through some apparition. And he's not going to touch it like he did in Exodus chapter 20 when he made the mountain quake. He's going to touch it through you. And he is still as powerful as when he made the mountain quake. He is still able to do it, but what he wants is he wants you to be in the place where you're there. Are you controlling your tongue? Are you letting God move you through compassion? And are you living unstained, unspotted from the world? Are you clean? If you are, God can and God will use you. And if you're not, listen, confess it and make it right and get it so. Because God doesn't need perfect people. 
He needs people who surrender, who yield, and let him have his way in them. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. And Lord, Lord, we need this message. We need to hear it. Blessed Spirit of the living God, uh, would you lead us, Lord? Lord, where the tongue is not right, Lord. Oh, Lord, may that be recognized and set straight with others if need be. Lord, where hearts have grown cold, Lord, where we can't warm them and we can't have compassion of ourselves, blessed Spirit of the living God, uh, would you help us? Give us compassion. And, oh, Lord, where there's sin, Lord, where the world is drawing us in and uh, we're becoming part of it rather than seeing the world drawn to you, blessed Spirit of the living God, uh, would you cause us to straighten that out and turn that around and make that right? With every head bowed and every eye closed, the piano's going to play quietly. and You just deal with God. You can come forward, talk to him. Uh, you can kneel where you are, talk to him, but deal with God. For God has spoken to you this morning, deal with him. Don't let it be something that's forgotten by the time lunch is over. Do business with God.